Some of them have the paragraph marker at verse 18, and some of them have the paragraph marker at verse 19. Uh, and best I can tell, the paragraph actually begins the uh, uh, that we're in right now at verse 18. And I said I read that last week, and we talked about it just a little bit. And uh, I was thinking I had more time last week than I did because I wasn't thinking 11 o'clock is when service starts. I was thinking I had till 11 o'clock. Uh, and that's happened before, y'all are well aware of. Uh, but anyway, we'll start in First uh, John chapter 3 and verse 18. I say we read this last week, so we won't spend a whole lot of time on it. But it says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And we talked last week about uh, how John basically saying here, it's, it's one thing to tell someone that you love them, but it's a whole other thing to tell or to show someone that you love them. That's what John said. It's, it's not enough just to tell someone I love you. Uh, the examples I believe I gave last week was, you know, I tell my wife I love her, but I go home and I kick her. That's not showing her that I love her. Uh, you know, and that, that, there's a broad spectrum there uh, of examples that we could use, but it's in showing that you love them. Uh, you know, we can tell people we love them all day long, but if we're not showing it, first of all, do we really love them? Second of all, are they aware that we love them, if, if we indeed do? So John says, don't just say the words, but you need to do the deeds uh, that, that prove this love. This not only applies uh, to people, this is something I believe I failed to get into last week, it not only applies to people, this applies to our love toward God as well. Now, John here is specifying people, but if we expand that just a little bit, and we go to God in prayer, and we, we tell God how much we think of him, we tell God how wonderful he is, and how glorious he is, and how much we love him, but we go throughout the rest of the course of our day and don't show our love toward God, do we really love him? Do we really love him like we claim that we do, like the scriptures command us to, for that matter? So this not only applies to people, but it also applies to our, our love toward God. Uh, you know, we can, we can say our prayers at night and get up and, and live like demons the next day. That's not, that's not showing God that we love him, and it's certainly not showing the world around us that we have a love for God if we do that. So... Uh, uh, Loving people in deed and in truth uh, is one thing, but uh, loving God in deed and in truth uh, can be compiled in that as well. So, uh, my little children, let us not love in word, 
neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Verse 19, And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And uh, there's all kinds of different ways, if you read commentaries, or if you have a study Bibles, or whatever the case is, there's uh, all kinds of different directions that people go with these verses here, as far as this condemnation that John is uh, bringing up here. But he says, Hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. Well, what, what does he mean by of the truth, first of all? Well, every time I read the word truth in Scripture, every time, whether I'm in the Old Testament or New Testament, regardless, I always revert back to John 14, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the truth. And we know that we are of the truth if we are indeed in Jesus Christ, if we are abiding in Christ, and Christ is indeed abiding in us. Uh, that's, that's the way I handle the word truth every time that I run across it in Scripture. Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. This word assure or assurance, uh, to be assured, this is a wonderful thing in the Scripture. I know I covered uh, just uh, uh, two or three Sundays ago, I guess, uh, we talked about assurance and we talked about how, uh, me personally, I don't always feel saved. I don't always uh, feel like I'm in relationship with God, but I have assurance that I am. I know that I am because I'm not basing it on how my day is gone. And if you all base it on how your day has gone, um, Sometimes, in fact, a lot of times, more often than not, uh, uh, if you're basing it on how bad your day has been, on, on uh, things that happen, if you're basing that on your relationship with God, then we have no relationship with God if that's what we're basing it on. But that's not what I base it on. I base it on the fact that God says, in his, or that the word of God says, that, that if I confess Jesus Christ with my mouth and I believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I, be, I, I, I have assurance of my faith and I have assurance of relationship with God because I know and I can go back to the time, I can go back to the place in my mind where God saved my soul. That's my assurance that I'm in a relationship with God, not how my day's going. Not, not at all how my day's going. I mean, we just read from Job this morning. Job didn't base his, uh, the experiences that he was facing in his life at that time on, his, uh, uh, on what kind of relationship he had with God, whether he had a good relationship or a bad relationship or any relationship at all. Uh, this man, he had his entire family uh, taken away from him, lost all of his livestock, lost his living, had, had sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, had all these things. And yet, the man said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He's the very one that said, the Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a relationship with God. That's, uh, that's knowing uh, that's knowing the Lord. He's the very one that said, I know my Redeemer liveth. He knows his Redeemer lives. Uh, these are the words of Job, a man that suffered a whole lot more than you or I, either one have in our lives. So we cannot base our relationship on, with God 
on things that are happening in our lives, uh, things that are going on. I mean, you look at uh, you look at Brother Paul in the New Testament. What all did he suffer? In fact, Jesus Christ told him when Jesus Christ first saved his soul and he was first calling him into the ministry, he said, I'm going to show you the things that you should suffer for my name's sake, for my sake. He showed Paul these things. Folks, God didn't call us into a life of luxury. God knew and God warned us that, that we would be hated of all men for his name's sake. Jesus said that, that we would be hated of all men for his name's sake. In fact, there's warning in the word of God uh, that uh, you know, if, the, if the world loves us, we need to watch out. We need to beware of that. The world doesn't love Christians. The world doesn't love those that are in right relationship with God. But why was that? Because the world doesn't know Jesus Christ. The world doesn't have any want, any desire uh, to know Jesus Christ. And because they don't know Jesus Christ, they hate those that follow Jesus Christ. So don't base your relationship with God. Don't base your salvation. Don't base any of these things on what happens throughout the course of your day. You base it on what Scripture says. And Scripture says Amen. if we believe and we confess and we repent, that we will be saved. Praise God for that. Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have uh, confidence toward God. Back to verse 20 again. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Now, we just left a verse in verse 19 that's talking about the assurance of our faith, the assurance of our salvation, the assurance that we have a relationship with God. Now, listen, these days that, come, that, that do come in my life and in your life where we're closer to God than we may have been the previous day. And there's days that come where we're further away from God than we were the previous day. Or that maybe that we will be in the future, but that does not, uh, that doesn't negate the assurance that we have from the word of God that we are indeed his child. We've got to remember that. But John says, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. If our heart, if our conscience, if it condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Uh, you know, we might hit our knees, and this has happened to me in the past more than once. We might hit our knees and get to praying and get to thinking of something that we might have said throughout the course of the day or some impure thought that we may have had. And that's your heart, that's your conscience condemning you. That's my conscience condemning me. But God is greater than that. And, and, and God forgives that sin, yes. We go to God in repentance. We go to God uh, for mercy. We cast ourselves on the mercy of Almighty God. It does us no good to cast ourselves on the mercy of men. Now, if we sin against man, yes, we should uh, seek forgiveness of that man or of that woman. Yes, but we should seek forgiveness of God for that as well. But if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. If your conscience condemns you, then your conscience is not stronger than what God is. Your conscience isn't like that. Now, we're not finished with that. We'll come back to it here in just a second. Uh, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Now, there's some people that will read this verse, and this is, this is the very verse that a lot of people get the, the phrase, well, God knows my heart. And be careful with that. 
Because a lot of times that's the problem. God does know your heart. The heart is deceptive above all things and desperately wicked. Who shall know it? That's the words of Jeremiah, the prophet. It's deceptive above all things. Yes, God knows our heart. He knows the good of our heart. He knows the bad of our heart. Now, when I got saved, according to what I read in the scripture, God took away that stony heart and he put in a heart of flesh. He put in a heart that, that, that was soft, a heart that he could mold, a heart that, that he could work with. Uh, and God done that with you if you're saved. God changes our lives. He changes our heart. He changes our desires. He changes our consciences. He, cha he changes everything about us. But our conscience will still get the, uh, will, will still haunt us from time to time. Maybe even on a daily basis, our conscience might get haunted us. But you remember, dear Christian, that God is greater than your heart. God is greater than your conscience. And no condemnation that we can put ourselves under is greater than the forgiveness that God can give us. But once again, I'm not done with that, and neither is John. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. We've got to be careful with this verse, too. Because this is, once again, these two verses, a lot of people will read this and say, Well, God knows my heart, and I feel no guilt over what you're calling sin. Therefore, I'm in good relationship with God. We've got to be careful with that. Every time I hear somebody speak words uh, such as that or, or, or to that tune, my mind always goes back to Romans 1, where God hands people over to a reprobate mind. He, he gives people over to their own vile affections, according to what Paul writes in Romans 1. They don't have any guilt because because they've seared their conscience. They've done it so many times that, that there can't be any guilt for it. The only way they can feel guilty is if the Holy Spirit of God truly gets a hold of that heart and squeezes that heart and shows them that, no, what you're doing is sin. But people will reject, and they will reject and reject and reject the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And that's the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost, but that's a whole other lesson in and of itself. But they will reject the, the spirit of the living God. And God will finally just give them over and say, if this is the life you want, this is the life I will let you have. That's what it is to be handed over to a reprobate mind. That's what it is to be given over to your own vile affections. And that's that's why we say, if, if this, is, uh, this is living your best life now, then uh, that means you're on your way to hell because my best life is yet to come. Amen. My best life is yet to come. My best life is promised in Scripture, but I'm certainly not living it right now. Now, let's read these verses again. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, our heart condemn us. If our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And I believe these words, and I believe what John says, and I believe everything that I just taught you all about this. But we have to remember that in these two verses, God is the ultimate judge. Whether you have a guilty conscience or not, God is the ultimate judge of your life. God is the ultimate judge of your keeping of the commandments, which none of us can do perfectly. God is the ultimate judge of how pure you are. God is the ultimate judge of whether or not you've ever even been saved. He is the judge of that in both of these Amen. verses. But people will take these verses. And once again, the last verse that we read, they will say, well, I have no guilt. 
Therefore, it must not be sin, because the Bible says so. That's not what John is getting at. What I believe John is getting at is regardless of how you feel about any situation, about any sin, about anything else, God is the ultimate judge of all. That's what I believe John is getting at in both of these verses here. And we need to keep that uh, in consideration. Once again, our conscience might condemn us. You know, how many how many of y'all have ever had a demon whisper in your ear where you ain't even saved? I have. My goodness, that's almost a daily event for me. You ain't even saved. What are you doing holding that Bible? What are you doing teaching? What are you doing preaching? Why are you telling people about Jesus? You don't know God. But I can go back. I'm approaching 14 years now. It'll be 14 years, February 10th, that I've been saved. Amen. I'm approaching that mark. And I can go back that greasy two-room floor in Bristol, Virginia, where I got saved. I can go back there and and I know that I went down there a lost man, but when God raised me up, he raised me up assuredly. He raised me up completely and he raised me up utterly. And I take those demons back to that spot every time they do that. Every time they try to get in my conscience. Every time they try uh, to, to, to make me feel guiltier than what I actually am. Yes, I'm guilty of sin, and you are too. Every one of us are. Yes, I'm guilty of that, but the blood of Jesus Christ is all powerful to wash away all sin. Hallelujah. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, this is another verse. That's blown way out of proportion, as well as several other verses in in the scripture that are that are like it. Whatsoever we ask, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him. A lot of people like to take that out of this particular verse and just leave it there. Say, well, the Bible says, "Whatsoever I ask of the Lord, I'll receive it." And once again, it, it says very uh, very like things in other parts of the scripture, but. We've got to continue. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This almost sounds like a reward program for God, and that's not what it's getting at at all. But it sounds like, well, I went through a day without lying. God should reward me. I'm going to ask God to give me a winning lottery ticket. I'm going to ask God for a Rolls Royce in my driveway in the morning. And, and people literally... They, they look at these verses and they literally think that way. That's not what it's getting at. And uh, whatsoever we ask, we, re- uh, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Why do we keep the commandments of God? Christians, why do we keep the commandments of God? Because we love God. Amen. Why, do we, why do we keep them? Because we love him. And do those things which are pleasing in his sight. How many of us live our lives day to day, hour to hour, and minute minute to minute, completely, completely to please God. Not a one of us. I don't, and you don't. We try our best. We might try. But there's something that will come up throughout the course of the day, throughout the course of the week. There's something that will come up that will please your flesh. And I'm I'm not talking necessarily about sinful things, but there's something that will come up uh, that You'll put God on the back burner for just a moment. I'm not, uh, once again, I'm not talking about sensual things or just gross sin or whatever the case is. 
but, uh, but something will come up throughout the course of our lives, uh, really our daily lives, weekly lives. Something will come up to where we'll put God in the back seat for just a moment. And that's when we're not living our lives to please God. And, and we're all guilty of it. I ain't pointing a finger at you all and not accusing myself. We're all guilty of, of doing that. But uh, it says that, that uh, we re- whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. We do that because we love them. And uh, do those things which are pleasing in his sight. This goes back to verse 18. We do those things which are pleasing in his sight. This is loving in deed and in truth and not just in word and in tongue. This is the action that takes place. Once again, in verse 18, the very first verse that we read this morning, it reverts back to that. So uh, whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. If we love God and we're keeping his commandments and we're doing those things that are pleasing in his sight, we are in good awesome relationship with Almighty God. And if we are in a good, awesome relationship with Almighty God, we're going to be seeking the heart of God. We're going to be seeking what God wants for our life. And if it's what God wants for our life, why would he not give it to us if we asked it of him? This is what John's getting at. Not anything that we want. It's what God wants. It's what God wants. You read over in the Old Testament, in the books of Samuel, when David uh, David was wanting the temple built, God says, no, it's not going to be you. It'll be one of your descendants, Solomon, will build it. David still wanted that part of it. But anyway, when, when, when David realized that this was uh, going to happen, uh, that, that, that the temple would be built, a place where God could, could dwell and, and live amongst his people, instead of being carried around in a tent uh, uh, from place to place. or uh, Anyway, David just felt guilty because he lived in a palace. There's God basically in curtains with a couple of sticks. Uh, David felt guilty about that. But when he found out that the temple was going to be built, that God was going to allow this, what did he say to God? He, said, he, he praised God and he thanked him for the prayer that God placed in his heart. He thanked him for the prayer that God put in his heart. A lot of times we pray things that God has nothing to do with. But I promise you, if it's a prayer that you pray that God has placed in your heart, you will receive whatever it is. If God put it there, you will receive it. But we ask so many times for things that we want instead of the things that God wants. And then people get mad and they say, well, the Bible says, Asking you shall receive, knocking it shall be open, seeking you shall find. My goodness, read those things in context, and they don't mean what you might think that they mean. Read them in the context that they're in. It doesn't mean God will give us whatever we want. God will give us whatever he wants for us. And if we are in tune with him, I said if we're doing his commandments, we're doing what delights God, we will be seeking the things of God and what he wants for our lives. If we're seeking those things, he will give them to us. And this is the commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. I want you to pay attention to this. This is the commandment, that's singular, commandment, 
It's not, these are the commandments. This is the commandment. Then we read that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. There's one, and love one another. That's two. Well, there's two commandments there, but John here is collaborating them into one commandment. Just the same way that Jesus Christ did. I understand that when Jesus Christ was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, all thy strength. I understand that he said that. And he said the second is like unto it. It's just like it, in other words. The second is like unto it, to love thy neighbor as thyself. I understand that there's a distinction there between loving people and loving God. But if we love God, we will love people. Therefore, we can collaborate it all into one commandment. And John here says this is his commandment, and that's singular, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. We cannot separate those two. If we believe on the name and on the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to love one another. We have to love each other. We have to love people in general. But remember, John here is speaking specifically about the brethren that have a like faith, the brethren of the church. That's, that's who he's specifically talking about. But that's the commandment, that we believe on his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he did give us commandment to do that. He gave us commandment in John chapter 6. He gave us commandment in John, I mean, my goodness, I ain't going to sit here and list all the places that he gave us commandment to do so. And it's right here in 1 John as well on more than one occasion. That we're, to, we're to love God and love our neighbors. And it's, and it's spoken or written in different ways, different words, but it all comes up to the same thing, believe the name of Jesus Christ and love one another. That's the commandment of, of God as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. He that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him. Praise God for that. That goes back to this whole abiding thing that we brought up off and on going through the, uh, the book of 1 John. Uh, if we keep his commandments, uh, he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him. We dwell, we dwell in Jesus Christ if we keep his commandments. Now, does that mean that I'm going out throughout my day, I'm praising God and I'm praying and, and got my hallelujahs rolling and all like that, and something, something comes up, I have a bad thought, you know, somebody steps on my toes or runs a red light and almost... Uh, hits my car and I have a sudden bad thought about them, does that mean I'm not abiding with God during that one little moment of my day? No, it doesn't mean that. And I praise God that's not what that means. That's, that goes back to assurance, what we were talking about a few minutes ago. That doesn't, and there's people that believe that. There's people that believe that, uh, you know, if I shout out the window at somebody, you rascal, or anything else, we won't get into the anything else's. But there's people that believe if I get angry at one point in my life and I don't repent of that, if I'm killed in the next moment, I go to hell. There are people that believe this. And that is not what Scripture teaches. That is not what Scripture says. That's not what Jesus taught. It's not what Paul taught. And certainly nothing like what John is teaching here in 1 John. It all goes back to assurance. Yes, we're going to have bad thoughts. 
Yes, we're going to get angry. What's the Bible say about that in Ephesians chapter 4? Be angry and sin not. Neither give place to the devil, neither let the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't stay angry about it. Don't go to bed. Don't go to bed. Lay your head down at night, still angry about something that happened at noon that day. My goodness, that's just walking around with a chip on your shoulder. I didn't want to live like that when I was lost. I sure don't want to live like that while, uh, since I've been saved. Nobody wants to go to bed angry. But anyway, we ain't getting into all that. He that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him. I dwell in Jesus Christ. But praise God, it continues. And he in him. I'm dwelling in Christ. I'm abiding in Christ. And he is abiding in me and dwelling in me. How is this going on? John goes on to tell us. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. And this is the spirit. This is the comforter that, uh, that Jesus Christ promised us uh, over in the gospel of John. He said, I must go away, but I, but I will pray the father and he will send the comforter. He will send the comfort. He'll, he will send the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, uh, Paul uh, tells us that, any, uh, that the Spirit abides in anyone who is saved. And it goes on to say, though, that he that hath not the Spirit of Christ is none of his. If we don't have the Spirit of Christ, if we don't have the Holy Spirit, if we don't have the Holy Ghost, we are not saved. It's that simple. But if we have the Spirit, we are saved. You'll never convince me. Going back to my example I was given a little while ago. Somebody, somebody rear-ends me or sideswipes me or almost causes me to wreck or whatever the case is, and I suddenly have a bad thought about that person or about that situation, and I'm angry about it, that suddenly the Holy Spirit jumps out of me. But two or three seconds later, I say, Lord, I'm sorry, and the Holy Spirit jumps back in me. That's not how this works, folks. Is not how this works. <clears throat> it says, Hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. The Holy Spirit of God is a gift from God by the Spirit that he hath given us. He gave it to us. To do what, though? He didn't just give it to us to mark us as saved individuals. Yes, it does do that, but that's not the only reason that he done it. The Holy Spirit, according to the words of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John, it testifies of Jesus Christ. He says, when he comes, when the Comforter comes, he will testify of me. So if the Spirit of God is dwelling in us, what's it doing? It's testifying of Christ. And if it's testifying of Christ to us, what should we be doing? We should be testifying of Christ to others. We should be witnessing Christ to others. Telling other people about Jesus Christ. Telling them how he saved your soul. Tell them how unworthy you were. You don't have to get into every dark and dirty sin that you ever committed in your life. Amen. But none of us were worthy of it. None of us were worthy of that gift of God. But he has given us his spirit. He's given it to us for, to guide us to, and to testify of Christ to us that we can testify to the rest of the world of Christ. He has given us this. And this spirit, if you went down on your knees one time and got saved and nothing changed in your life, 
You were still going to the same places. You were still doing the same things. You were still hanging around with the same people, speaking the same uh, uh, language, using all the four-letter words and, and everything else that you were doing previously. You know why you were doing that? Because you never received the Spirit. And if you never received the Spirit, you are not saved. But that Spirit is of God. And everything of God is eternal. Everything of God is eternal. Jesus said, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Folks, I know what everlasting means. And I know what eternal means. And I, I know what that word hath means. We can get back into tenses once again. It's, it's present perfect. It's continual. It's perpetual. It's, it's never ending. He that believeth on me everlasting life. So when this when this spirit, he, he abideth in us. Once again, let's go to tenses again. In this last verse, hereby we know that he abideth in us. Abideth is a present perfect tense. It's continual. It cannot stop. It is eternal. It is everlasting. It's immortal. Nothing can be done about it. God has sent it in motion and no man can stop that. No demon that knows that hell is going to be home one day can stop that. No nymph that knows that hell is going to be home one day can stop that. It is a continual thing. He abideth in us. But we know that he abideth in us. Forever. Forever. By the Spirit which he hath given us. I receive the Holy Spirit of God and I know that I receive the Holy Spirit of God. I'm not the person that I used to be. And that's not of my own will. It's not of my own want. It was because of the want of God. It was the want of God to make me his child, to grasp me in. It was he that done that, not me. Yes, I, yes, there was belief. And yes, there was repentance. But ultimately, it was God that sought me out. It was God that convicted me of my sins. It was God that saved my soul. It's God that will keep me, and it's God that will keep, get me home one of these days. I have nothing to do with it. And this is the gift that God has given me. The Spirit, the Spirit of God. And we'll wrap that up right there. we got about ten minutes, but I ain't going to get it. Anybody got any questions or comments?